Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Advent Cabbage, and this is a podcast where I interview a debut author about their reading and writing history, what inspires them, their debut book from Genesis to editing it, and from querying agents to finally selling it. If you like what you hear here, check us out on daybeautiful.net and follow us on social media at daybeautiful. Today's guest was born and raised in Malaysia. Her short stories have been published in Electric Lit, Kenyan Review, Echo Tone, and more. She was the 2021 Stanley Elkin Scholar at the Sewanee Writers Conference and has also received scholar awards to attend the Breadloaf and Tin House Writers Conferences. Her debut novel, The Storm We Made, is out now. Please welcome Vanessa Chan. Vanessa, thank you so much for being here. I just read your official bio, but I'm curious, what is your unofficial bio? Who is Vanessa Chan? Well, thank you for my official bio. Uh, Let's see, my unofficial bio. We'll do it in third person, so it's very authentic. (laughs) Vanessa Chan is, is a morning person who wakes up at an ungodly hour and is preoccupied with when she's going to get fed because she's always hungry. I love it. That's all I, I got. That is perfect. I love it. And thank you so much for being here on the Debut Podcast. You are the first guest of 2024. Yay. Yeah, I think because the book is yeah. coming out so early, I'm like, everyone's like, you're opener. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that? Did you, was there talks behind the scenes of like when your book should come out? I think everyone always, because this book sold in like January, February, it sold in the winter of 2022. Mm -hmm. And so my editor always, uh, you know, books, as we know, take about a year and a half at least uh, to go to press. And so that would have taken us to summer, fall. And she was like, let's just go to January because that will give us long lead time. Um, and I, I like being a January book. Um, it's a Capricorn. So supposedly very hardworking mm-hmm. and, you know, um, very diligent, which is great for a book. Uh, I do feel bad for my team and for anyone who's involved because it is the first working day of the year, which everyone knows is a day that no one actually wants to work Mm -hmm. or actually works um, because it's like the first Tuesday of the year and the first is a Monday. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel bad for everyone involved because they will obviously be working, but um, no one has complained because they're all really lovely. So I guess I'll take it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Are you are you a Capricorn? I know your book. No, is. no, 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 no. Capricorn. Um, no, I am a Gemini, which cool. means I'm a little bit deranged. Uh, oh, sure. But I can um, see it. the other thing that's uh interesting is January uh is my late mother's birthday month. Mm. So uh and she was, we'll get probably get into this later, but she was one of my first readers. She used to read these little screenshots that I would post on Instagram about the book. Mm. And so it seems pretty apt. Yeah, that is beautiful. And I mean, yeah, it is beautiful that there's a celebration of I'm sure all yeah. the work she's done for you in your life. Yeah. Yeah. And in your book, we should mention, I guess, is The Storm We Made. Uh, That's right. Yes, that is the title of your book. Tell readers about what it is from your perspective, cutting through the publicity copy. What is The Storm We Made? 
the storm we made is about um, a mother and a housewife in the 1930s in what used to be called British Malaya, which is Malaysia, who really doesn't, isn't sure she wants to be either of those things, but you know, that that's the, um, that's what she's been handed. Uh, and so she's really discontent about it. And so in her quest for self-actualization, uh, something we all understand, she becomes a spy for the Japanese forces and for a particular uh, Japanese general and uh, accidentally almost ushers in uh, the Second World War and a very violent occupation in the form of the Japanese occupation into Malaysia. And then the novel also follows, it's a novel with four points of view. It also follows her three children aged between seven and 18 who are actually living with the consequences of their mother's actions during the war, but they don't, they don't know her secret. So they don't really know why, you know, there's so much misfortune befalling their family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have been I'm notoriously bad at pitching books even though that's what I do I guess and I've just been saying it's like one of the best written books that is historical fiction and it's about a mother that's how I always pitch it because I, like, I, I keep that it simple. sounds great yeah. that sounds I, great you, since we mentioned your mother and this is about a mother was that was that always part of the book? Like, was the was a mother going to be the main character? Hilariously, no. Oh, okay. Uh, when I first started writing this novel in sort of late 2019, out of a prompt born in a classroom with the author Marie Helene Bertino, um, it was a novel about three sad children living through the Second World War in Malaysia. And look, listen. That three sad children living through a war is a very valid and wonderful narrative experience. Wars are sad. We, you know, we should have space for challenging stories and ones about children. Uh, but then 2019 bled into 2020 and into the early part of the pandemic. And obviously everyone was going through a ton of grief. And I was going through that grief while being trapped in a New York City apartment when mm -hmm. New York was sort of the epicenter, while my mother... Uh, died of a long illness and I couldn't go to her. And so it really seemed very tragic to kind of be writing about home, but not being able to go home. And so I just needed, because I couldn't go anywhere and I couldn't do anything. I needed to give myself some agency in the form of a character. And so I was like, you know what? I am going to give these kids an adult mother who gets to do all sorts of irresponsible and, um, crazy things uh and she's going to be a spy because i really like spy tv mm -hmm. and we can always take it out later and i can worry about it later but right now i need an adult uh to run around and be ridiculous because i cannot <laughs> and lo and behold because that's what novels and stories do they call to you um cecily alcantara who is the spy mother ended up becoming the emotional core of the novel and I guess the center of the story and uh, of any pitch that anyone's ever given about my novel. So it was, it definitely didn't start with a mother. Um, mm -hmm. It definitely didn't start with a spy. Those are two things I know very little about, mm -hmm. uh, but, but that, here we are. 
Here we are. And and yeah, that fascinates me that it came later in like the plotting and structure, uh, which I'll get to the writing of it. And that's usually what Day Beautiful is all about. But I do want to stick with, I just talked to Tyreek White, who won the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize. And we talked a lot about his mother, about my mother. So I, I want to talk about your mother, not necessarily her, but her, maybe her influence on you and and how it shaped your how she shaped your reading and writing, or if she didn't, um, was she influential in your creativity or distant from it? She was, I think. She's not a writer herself, and not even that great of a reader. But she was um, a very free spirit. Mm. So my mother was always very excited and very encouraging when I. Uh, decided that I'm going to give up my long corporate career uh, as um, a crisis PR person and publicist uh, in tech and consulting uh, Mm -hmm. to do this writing thing. And she was so excited. She was like, good gracious, finally, Um, which is not the kind of experience I think a lot of Asians have with their parents and the creative arts. So I was really lucky. Um, My mom is a very fun and interesting person. She met her husband on a mountaintop in India. Like she's, she's great. Um, But, you know, even though she wasn't a huge reader herself and she wasn't a huge writer, she's very fascinated with what I was doing. And so um, when I first started writing this novel, I would, you know, I would, um, post these like snippets that I was thought I was really proud of at the time on Instagram stories. And then like 30 minutes or an hour later, I would decide I was extremely not proud of it and I would have to take them down immediately. And I was like deeply ashamed. And uh, my mother learned to watch for those snippets, screenshot them before they got taken down. And then she learned how to enlarge them so she could read. And then she would um, deliver her feedback to me about what she liked and didn't like. was not always very helpful, but it was very amusing. Uh, And then later when her vision started to go, she would make me um, call her and like read little sections to her. So she was very supportive and very interested. uh, And I think she would be very excited uh, about, you know, my book coming out, though she would probably make me throw her a separate party because she would not want her book, my book and her birthday to coincide, even though they're in the same month. Yeah. Uh, that's so lovely that she was so supportive. And I I think the idea of her hounding your Instagram to get screenshots of your writing that you were embarrassed by is the most adorable thing, but also the most mom thing. I think every mom would do that. Not taking away from your mom, but I love that she is a mom yeah. through, you know what I mean? She just really wanted, I think, you know, she realized early on that like a lot of kids, in my generation and beyond we are like notoriously bad at keeping in touch like emails yes, and letters yes. and phone calls but she realized that instagram was the way to get a hold of me mm-hmm. and so she would watch and then she just ended up loving instagram and so she was on it all the time she loved <laughs> instagram amazing um yeah. so you were in corporate america crisis was... management um uh-huh. were you creative as a kid when did you get creative or when did you want to be creative You know, I was creative and wrote in the way that children do, where you like write poems to your parents and your parents are like, congratulations, honey. That was so lovely. It rhymed. So I did some of that. Yeah. Um, 
my dad and my grandparents uh, kept all these bad pieces of poetry and attempts at illustration. So I'm sure they'll whip them out uh, once my book comes out. So they will absolutely do that to me because my family keeps me humble. Uh, um, you know, and then when I was working uh, in communications and PR, I tried to write. So I went to different writing workshops, you know, in my early twenties, I wrote half an autofiction novel about how much I hated all my coworkers that didn't work very well. Um, everybody wants to see it. Even my publisher is like, maybe you can whip that out again. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so it, I just, you know, it wasn't really working for me. And um, I realized then that I am not one of those people that can multitask creatively. I can multitask where I can like do a lot of emails or, you know, answer the phone and do emails at the same time. Sure. But creatively, I'm one of those people that needs like a lot of unstructured time to like process my thoughts. I need a clear brain and having um, an insane job was not doing it for me. I was not one of those people that could write from five to seven and then get ready for work. Um, so I had to quit everything and try the writing thing. And I gave myself a period of time to try it. And I said, if it doesn't work out, I'm going to go back to, you know, this other job. I gave myself two years. It's been four. So yay. What were those early, I quit my job. I'm going to do this moments. Like were you, did you know what to do? Did you know how to find resources, to find uh, conferences, to find lit mags, et cetera, et cetera? How, how ingrained in the world were you before you were like, I'm going to dive in? Uh, not at all. So I didn't live in New York. I lived mm -hmm. in California. Uh, I lived in the Bay Area. And then I the reason that I was able to quit was because I got a green card. So I got permanent residence. So I was no longer tied to a work visa which meant that uh, I could quit without, you know, having to leave the country. So that happened for me. And I was like, oh, freedom. And then I was paralyzed by that freedom for three more years before I figured it out. Mm. Um, but I started, I applied for, uh, like a lot of people, MFA programs and ended up at the new school in New York, which is where I met a lot of my community, including I think your other guest, Gina Chung, who is a mm -hmm. very close friend of mine. And we all met at this program and we all sort of grew together. Um, we, you know, built a community together. We share a lot of resources. Uh, and in the pandemic, you know, in the days of, of peak Twitter, there was just a lot of resource sharing on Twitter, mm -hmm. um, a lot of sharing of submission um calls and things like that uh and that is how I learned to do all of those things literally by having a community that we built and by copying other people because I remember the first uh submissions that I sent uh on submittable uh in my cover letter I would paste my whole resume mm -hmm. <laughs> because I didn't know any better I didn't know what it was for. I didn't know why there was this blank box there that said cover letter uh, until um, I found out online that it, it literally is just a way to say hello to the editor. Yeah. As someone who I feel, I'm, maybe I'm mischaracterizing you, but someone who's in like what you were doing is like a pretty type A person. 
Yeah. Were, you, are, were you slash are you like a type A person? I think so. Okay. Uh, I think I am. I think that I can be sort of chaotic online and socially. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm very like, oh my God, what's yes. going on? And, you know, like I, I just, you know, I'm quite loud and lively. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm a big list maker. I'm a very <laughs> linear thinker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I sort of write forward. I don't really jump around. Um, and uh, I, you know, I like to do things. Uh, in a fairly orderly way. So yeah, I, I would say I would say that that is the case. Um, but being type A as a writer is so different than being mm-hmm. type A as like someone who has to manage all these staff and all these like other people's personalities. I, I don't have to do that anymore, which is amazing. Yeah. I just have to manage myself. <laughs> yeah. So as someone who was managing people, was lists and check boxes and Excel spreadsheets and all that, going into the unknown of this writing world, how like emotionally draining or satisfying was that for someone who came from the world you came from? Adam, it's the best decision I ever made. I never want to go back. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think, I think I, I didn't realize how important it is to care about the outcome of the thing you're doing. And because now this is the writing that I'm doing, the writing that I'm putting out in the world. And I care about writing and writers, other writers and the community of writers around me and beyond. So I care about the outcome, which means I'm just like generally much more invested. And, you know, giving a shit matters. Mm-hmm. I worked for over 10 years at these various jobs. And my goal was always, I have to complete this so that I can rest, which is really not a healthy way to go through life. Mm-hmm. And um, I did not give a shit about any of the outcomes. Uh, and that's uh, not a way to live. So I'm really happy where I am. Yeah. And yeah. I think because I've seen the other side, uh, look, writing is challenging as a, you know, as a, as a career. Uh, mm-hmm. Publishing is insane, but I've seen much worse. Mm-hmm. And so this is great. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're in the world, you left your previous world, you're at the new school, you're meeting people like Gina, who is amazing. Her book, Sea Change is great. And then Love it. her short story collection, Green Frog. Frog. Thank you. Uh, coming out next year or this year when this podcast is out, also brilliant. Um, when was the storm we made something that started percolating in your mind before new school, during new school, after new school? This is a really good story. So I, um, you know, I started learning with all these like amazing instructors. Like I studied with Mira Jacob, who remains mm-hmm. a mentor and a friend, which was my thesis advisor. I studied with Alexandra Kleeman, who's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I studied with Marie Helene Bertito, who is, um, mm. I think it makes her a little uncomfortable because I always credit her for for the for the origin story of the storm we made, but it's true. So I was in this class with her, and it was my first semester, and you know I was like new to New York, so I was like woohoo party, and it was like the end of the semester, and so she gave us this homework assignment, which was like, you know, write a short story about someone doing something on loop or repetitively or something like that. And so I wrote this short story about, oh, what I thought was a short story about <laughs> a girl, you know, running through some checkpoints, repeated checkpoints 
uh, during the Second World War and, um, you know, having a lot of flashbacks about like all the stuff that's going on in her family. And then I was like, all right, we're done. It's 5,000 words. Um, my assignment is done. The semester is over. Um, in grad school, as long as you do your assignment, you get an A. So I'm like, we're done. Party yeah. time, uh, you know, travel time. I thought I was going to go back to Malaysia. I just had all these plans that did not involve doing anything more with this assignment. Yes. Um, but then Marie uh, wrote me this handwritten written letter, which I have somewhere that basically said, you know, dear Vanessa, all the air left the room when I read this. And I think what you have here is the beginning of a novel. So I, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but this is close. Sure. I've read yeah. it so many times. You know, I urge you to keep it close and keep this precious. And I think you should keep going. And I was like, excuse me, <laughs> what <laughs> are you telling me that I have to, I have to write a novel. I've never written a novel. I don't know what novels are. I can barely mm -hmm. write a short story. I'd written like one short story at that point. Um, but then, you know, I decided to take her advice and just sort of kept scribbling on. Uh, and then, you know, the pandemic happened and I kept going. I would wake up every day to do this. I would have my little ritual where I'd write 888 words. We can get into why in a minute per, per session. And um, then in about two years, we had 350 pages, a novel. And as someone who didn't know how to write a novel, you wrote a damn good one. Uh, Thank you. I, and, and I'll get into... <laughs> all of like the pre-pub praise I've seen personally, not like what's out there on the internet that everyone else could read and see the storm remade over and over again. I'll get to that in a second. What was your biggest obstacle from like going from, I wrote this as a short story, as it was an assignment, I'm done with it to, okay, I'm going to write 250 pages uh, plus. Like what was the obstacle that you felt you had to get over? I mean, there were many obstacles. Sure. Right, writing, I think writing a novel, as we know, is, is very different than a story because it requires you to sort of meander into the unknown. And mm -hmm. we've established that I'm a little bit type A. I don't like to meander into the unknown. I love to know <laughs> and I love to have parameters. And and that's why short stories like are my first love because there's a parameter, there's like an end date and you sort of work towards it. Whereas with a novel, you just sort of wander off into the wild and then see what happens. And that was, you know, that took some getting used to. Um, also, um, you know, once I added in the mother character, my novel was four points of view in two timelines, mm -hmm. uh, which um, is not something I advise anyone to do because it required me to pace around my apartment in the dark, muttering to myself like a completely uh, unhealthy person mm -hmm. uh, because I couldn't, get the things to line up because I also did it across two timelines, but historically. So they have to line up with like facts. Yes. So yes. I couldn't make anything up, but uh, it, it was, it was tough. I would be worried about, you know, when the battle of Shanghai was in relation to what's happening to my characters in relation to what's happening to her, to my characters in the future as well, because again, two timelines. Yes. Um, But, you know, it was fun. I think it, it's like a great big puzzle. And as someone who doesn't actually love puzzles, uh, this was a puzzle that I loved. <laughs> Were you the type of person with all these timelines and points of view and real life plot, I guess, for lack of a better word? Were you a sticky note person? How were you documenting all of this? No. 
Oh my God, funny story. I am extremely not a paper person. So I had no sticky notes. I also never printed out my novel ever. Wow. Um, even to proofread, I never once printed it out. Uh, mostly because I didn't have a printer until sure, like- who does? <laughs> until, until like late later in the pandemic, I did get a printer, but I was like, oh my God, that's so many pages. So I really didn't- <laughs> proofread I have a wow. I have a printer or ever printed anything out until first past pages which is when they sent you send you the like laid out copy yes and then I was like there are a lot of typos in here and also a timeline inconsistency that I did not catch at all wow. so again I don't advise you to do that but I am very not papery um what was the question <laughs> Oh, just, yeah. Like, how did you keep track of it? So you're not but, papery. Are you a, yeah, yeah, go ahead. But I am, uh, well, there's a lot of muttering to myself. There was a <laughs> lot of trying to figure things out. I do, I do type things out a lot. So I have like, um, I wouldn't call them outlines, more like sketches, because again, there are four POVs. And so I needed to know how each character started, finished and ended. And so I would like sketch those out in mm -hmm. word, and then I would have to do it again and again. So probably have like 24 of those. Um, uh, and, you know, I just, I also read this novel over and over and over again, uh, like most novelists do, but I think I would read it over again every time I finished a particular arc of a character. So I didn't just read it, you know, once I was done with the novel, I didn't read it when I was halfway through. Like I read it probably after every chapter, I would just go from start to finish mm -hmm. so that it would, I would see if it would join because there's a cause and effect effect in the novel right what happens in the past is affecting what's happened in the in the present and vice versa and I needed it to feel like that was the case every time you as the reader start asking a question why did that happen I wanted you to feel like you were immediately going back in time or forward in time to see the answer yeah what I loved about the book I, I find it so fascinating that I like, I didn't even <clears throat> Even like I, I read the book and I know it's in these point of views and timelines, but to me, it felt so seamless that in a, in my own dumb brain, it didn't feel like multiple timelines and multiple points of view because it was so cohesive, um, which I'm sure is something that you and your editor and agent even worked on. Um, once you discovered the, like you, you had briefly mentioned just then the timeline inconsistency what is that editing process like to like figure out plot in in a time in a book where the plot is pretty important oh my gosh it's the worst because <laughs> once you figure out an inconsistency it rolls through the entire novel and that mm -hmm. could affect your ending and every plot twist that you have and so yeah it was really it was really tough um you know i know a lot of people you know, come on here and just writers in general are like, I love revision. Uh, that's not me. I hate revision. I know that it's a very important part mm -hmm. of the process. And it's definitely a very important part of my process. But oh my gosh, it is the worst. Yeah. It's just, it's just like, it's like wandering around in a pre-built theme park <clears throat> with no end in sight. It feels like Ikea to me. You just sort of, you know, the exit is there. There are signs pointing you to it, but you're still lost. You're like, I'm in the rug section. I want to be in the kitchen section. And that's kind of what revision feels like for me. Uh, again, crucial, yeah. but oof. Do you enjoy or not enjoy? Um, do you enjoy more or less plot revision or sentence by sentence like the sound the line the actual writing 
oh, uh, you know, this is like, I'm supposed to be a literary writer, but, sure. and I do love sentences, but I'm very old school. I love a plot. You mm -hmm. can probably tell that from the novel yes. because there are twists and turns and I love a good um, uh, foreshadowing. I love a good plot twist. Um, mm -hmm. I love a book that sort of moves really quickly and just sort of propels you through time. I love a book that makes you feel like a little bit breathless at the end because you're like, what just happened? Yeah, yes. I, I love that, which I know is very, you know, if we would go with the traditional delineations of literary versus genre, it's probably a little bit more genre, but. Mm -hmm. what And what I find fascinating about you, like you talking about plot and I often talk about how I don't care about plot. It's not my thing. I care about vibes and character and the mood. But every now and then a plot like yours is like, oh, okay, I see what we're doing here. I see this. I got it. Um, and it like, it's... I mean, I love those other things no, too. Course, like I love yeah, a mood yeah. and setting and place is very important to me, which you can probably tell from the book as well. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm yeah. a bit old school. I love a plot. And yeah. And your plot grabbed me. And that's why I think it's going to be so successful. And I know you're going to be like, oh, thank you. We'll see what happens. But it is going to be a baller of 2024 for sure. Um, and I I know a book buyer at a bookstore, um, a good friend of mine here in Denver, and we were texting. And I just want to read this. It's, uh, I'm finishing The Storm We Made by Vanessa. So good. Many O's. Uh, I can't believe it's a debut. It's so well written makes me so, so happy like it like i just i like yes i know you care about plot and you care about all these other things but like and and the, it is so literary in a in a sense and not that and that's like a bullshit term whatever right but yeah i'm just con this is like I, there's a part in the podcast where i ramble and just compliment the author and that's this part thank you thank you because um, this validation is making my heart swell and my head swell. And I am going to be insufferable mm -hmm. for a week because of this. So thank you. My friends are going to hate you, but thank you. Um, I love it. And I think you just tweeted about, maybe this isn't you. So correct me if I'm wrong about like, you like Goodreads as a reader, right? Is that a thing I, I saw it's... you post about? I think it is. I think it could be a much better sure, of course, yeah, tool. Yeah. But yeah, I do, I do, I go on there, write some reviews sometimes. Mm -hmm. Only good reviews. Like I, I don't, I don't feel the need yeah. to find a book. I'm not a critic. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I like to go and discover books on there. I like to go and see what other people are doing. I think it's part of my busybody nature. I'm kind of a busybody, sure. and like this is like busybodying about what people are reading. But I try. I'm not always successful, but I like try to put on blinkers and like not look at my own. Yes. Uh, reviews. I mean, sometimes I fail, but yeah. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask about as someone who's active on the internet. And I think you're a very active writer on the internet. And I think that's a good thing. <laughs> how have you, yeah. How are you going to deal with, or how have you been dealing with your book is in theory out there? Like people are reading it. How are you handling yeah. that? I think at first it was a little bit weird. It started some months ago and mm -hmm. I was like, wow, um, this is being perceived a lot more mm -hmm. than I anticipated. And it's just, it's a weird feeling. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I like to think that um, reviews and commentary, like they belong to readers. Like you can have those, like it's not really my business. Mm -hmm. I keep telling myself that it's like not my business to go and like involve myself in, you know, other people's thoughts and opinions about my book. 
Uh, like I said, I'm not always successful, but I, I really, I really do try to sort of dissociate away from it. Um, you know, even, I mean, even on, you know, on social, other social media platforms, Instagram and so on, people will tag you in their reviews and, um, you know, so far people have been nice. I know that could change, but uh-huh. again, this belongs to them and I, I try not to, uh, let it affect me too much. Uh-huh. And you mentioned at the beginning that, you know, your mother was going through the long illness and then you kind of, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like coped in a way of putting a strong, this unique mother in the story. Um, how has like your, you mentioned she was like a first reader, your mother, but like other first readers, um, how do you approach them and what do you want from early readers? Uh, whether or not they're writers themselves or just family or friends. Oh, you mean like early readers of my book? Like Yes, yes. Like, what are oh. you looking for in your community? Um, I mean, I think I want them. I want to be very honest with me. Like, I want to know at what point your attention waned, mm-hmm. right? At what point you put down the book and wondered if you would go back to it, if that would that happened at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to know, you know, if there, there are illogical plot points, I also want to know if there are typos, because again, I am a notoriously bad proofreader uh, and uh, I just find it impossible to proofread. I'm not a bad speller. I just am a person who misses words because I like edit my sentence and then I'm missing, like my tweets are full of typos. Uh I'm just like that person. (laughs) I just, I give up. Like I am like this. Yes. Um, So yeah, and you know, I look for a fair amount of, of of frankness and honesty, and also validation. Um, we talked about Gina earlier. Gina is one of my first readers, and Jean, I am a morning person, so I like wake up pretty early and I sleep pretty early. So by eleven, I'm definitely asleep. Like I probably sleep before then. You know, Gina comes to life at like ten p.m., and so <laughs> she's reading my novel, like an early draft of it, and she is sending me the most incessant texts about how much she loves it and they're binging on my phone like from 11 to midnight and I'm like thank you I'm asleep but this is so nice you know um so that that was really nice to get too because again you write your novel alone in your little hovel for however long and um I'm not someone who who shares early pages with people I just share the whole thing when it's done okay Uh, yeah uh, we can talk about why if, if it matters to you we can talk about why in a minute I do but, um, yeah I will ask that but keep going uh, <laughs> but um so that was the first time I think someone had read it cover to cover and it was so nice to hear that you know it 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 uh it resonated it was it was yeah. very very validating to me I've kept all those messages I like that so why don't you send incomplete work I find it very tough to workshop novels in individual chapters just because um one novels change so much and and two I believe in workshop I think workshops are wonderful especially for short fiction I think feedback is very important and editing is very important but I do think that novels need time to marinate and if you get feedback about direction too early if people you know are reading 10 pages and have no idea what your intended direction is and are telling you, you know, I feel like this is missing and that is missing. Um, It could get to the writer's head and then you sort of lose your way. 
Um, but it's, I don't, I didn't want to lose my way when I hadn't even found my way yet, because again, mm. novels are about wandering. And so um, I, I don't share um, too much of my novels too early uh, until I've got most, if not all, most of it written down. I have a sense for where it's going and how it ends. Mm -hmm. That's just me. Some people sure. do share, you know, bits and bobs, but I, I don't. Yeah, I am not a fiction writer. I talk about this on the podcast a lot. So that's why I care so much about asking these questions because I don't know like my what my process would be. But I do think a lot of younger or not younger, um, a lot of emerging writers um, need to find their own way on how they share. And, and yeah. uh, that's why I always ask it because I think it's important that people who are struggling or not struggling to write know that there's options for how they workshop and find their community, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, and you, this is the part of the podcast where I am going to ask a timeline question. So the book's sure. January, 2024, you sold it. You mentioned it, but in early 2021? 2022. So 2022. Um, <clears throat> it, yeah, I, the book sold actually, Actually, on February 1st, 2022, was when um, the auction concluded and I knew who my publisher was, uh, uh, which was, this is like something that only matters to me, kind of a superstitious person. Um, you know, I write 888 words per session because eight is a lucky number to Chinese people. It's also symmetrical. Um, you know, I have all these dumb but amusing to me, superstitions. And February 1st, 2022 was the turn of the Lunar New Year. It switched to the Tiger Year, mm -hmm. which is my year. Oh. And so yeah. I sold my book the first day of my year. Yeah. Literally, while I was in Malaysia. Uh, wow. Coincidentally, I, um, the book went on submission and then I immediately left for Malaysia. Uh, which is a, which stressed my agents out a lot because we had to do all these meetings on a 12 hour time difference with editors. Yeah. Um, but that's what I'm like. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, did you, I, I, I know you have a short story collection. I do. In the docket. It's also sold. Was that a two book deal? Did that it was. Come later? It was. Uh, yeah, I sold the story we made and the collection The Ugliest Babies in the World together as a two book deal. And The Ugliest Babies in the World uh, is, I've turned it into my editor. I, you know, real, prob the earliest publication date will probably be 2025 or beyond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just like to talk about not like the nitty gritty of book deals, but when there's two books so close, sometimes, you know, people want to know. Um, yeah, I sold, I mean, uh, uh, sometimes I think writers want to know this. I sold my collection and it was not fully done yet. Sure. But it was almost done. So mm -hmm. I had probably two or three more stories to add to it. Because sometimes people ask when, you know, there's a yeah. two book deal, like, do they both have to be complete? Some people sell entirely on an idea. I didn't do that, but it wasn't fully complete. Sure, sure. Yeah. And and now that your book is out, by the time this podcast is out, you're going on a book tour, you're talking with authors. What are you most looking forward to during your debut year? There's a lot of stress, and I usually focus on that, but I want to focus on the positivity in 2024. What are you looking forward to? 
I, I mean, honestly, I am looking forward uh, to it being out in the world because it's been sort of like not out in mind for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting readers. I'm looking forward to trying food in a lot of new places and cities yes. uh, because food is very important to me. I am looking forward to um, yeah, meeting readers and uh, practicing my special book signature because you need a different book signature than you do for your official documents. That's uh, very important, yes. Yeah. And I don't so, think any people think about that. You don't until you have to and you're like, ooh. And we don't sign checks that much anymore, so that's sure. a good thing. But it was before the idea that you would use something that could be forged for a check would be problematic. Yeah. Um, I'm also just looking forward to, I think, celebrating. I think there's this the thing that a lot of authors don't talk about, I think, is that when your book comes out in the world, there's all this buildup and then it's just nothing, right? You know, the reviews come out, the podcasts come out, the... And then, and then it just feels like almost a little deflating. Mm-hmm. And so I, I plan to celebrate, you know, I'm going to, uh, on January 2nd, when the book comes out, I'm going to a dinner with all of my friends, all of my close friends, uh, you know, and we're just going to be hanging out a lot in, in, in January at book launches at other people's book launches and just keeping the party going because I, you know, um, I think that I want to celebrate and I just want to be excited. It was a book born out of the pandemic about a tough time and written in a tough time. And I want to live a little. I love your energy on this podcast. When we met in person at Center for (laughs) Fiction on the internet, on Twitter, and I, and I believe you tweeted like, sorry, if I'm being insufferable, I'm going to talk about this book every day until it comes out or something similar to that. I was like, no, no, this is you're right. There's so much buildup and that's when everyone cares about the book and then it's published and then the podcast comes out and the book reviews stop because we're always, we're on to the next thing. I hope you tweet about this book every goddamn day. (laughs) Everyone like knows how amazing it is. Thanks. But also I am truly, I also am an avid believer in not gatekeeping. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there are parts of the process. um, You know, I tweet and I, do little Instagram stories about about most things to do with the book, not just like the, you know, like the very promotional stuff, but mm-hmm. also just like everyday stuff, um, things that are happening. I, I don't believe in gatekeeping. And I think authors uh, should know everything that's possible for a book, because my book has been given a lot of opportunities yeah. that a lot of other books may not have. And I need, it's important for me that people know what is possible for a book and what you can get. Um, because only when you know where the limit is, do you know how to ask for things and negotiate for things. So I, I'm an avid believer in transparency and opening the doors for others. Yeah. And I, I love that. And I, and I, think that is becoming the norm and I and I wasn't in the literary community for a long time like you know what I mean but I feel like from what I've heard from debut authors of the oh, past yeah. five years it was like some like I remember in 2019 when I started this before, before the podcast was even out it was just a, it, like written Q&A's we would be talking emailing and so many people discussed like the hurdles and there's still hurdles, but now I feel it's like, there's people like you who are advocates and champions for, no, this is, we're going to, we're in this together and this is a community and we're going to 
make it possible for all of us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was talking to, uh, I won't name this author, but it was another Asian American author whose book came out, you know, about first book came out about four or five years ago. And she was saying it was just her and these one other Asian American author. And they sort of clung together because they didn't know what else to do. And they, people like them have changed sort of the way things look for the rest of us as authors. Um, you know, we, there are more opportunities for us, both financially and just for more books and more kinds of stories in general. And they're very generous. Um, you know, when you call them up or text them, you know, in misery and confusion, they will be helpful. And I want to be like that too. I just, I think the more we know, the better we are. Yeah, definitely. And I'll wrap up by asking what you are reading or enjoying could be TVs, books, whatever. Like what's on Vanessa's radar right now? A uh, couple things. So when I, because right now I'm like in the throes of yeah. like the storm we made, that's literally all I can think about. Yeah. So that means that um, anything that I watch uh, and read, but mostly watch is like vastly different usually. So I don't like clutter my brain. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I'm watching uh, a really ridiculous show called Gen V on mm. uh, Amazon Prime about a bunch of like super powered kids in a school that will feed them to a superhero institute. And so they're learning. It's it's like mute X-Men meets like Harry Potter, yeah. but like gorier and it's, it's not great, but it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, if I'm honest with you, there are a lot of plot holes, but sure. I'm much more forgiving of plot holes on television because I don't write for television. Mm. Um, I also, um, I read this some time ago, actually, but I, you know, you, you should have this book on, on, uh, on your podcast, but, you know, Cinema Love by my friend, uh, Andy Jamming Tang about gay men in rural China and the women mm -hmm. that marry them is just exceptional. And I talk about this book all the time and I read this book, uh, just very, very frequently. I also just started reading In Memoriam by um, Alice Wynne, mm -hmm. which actually is a similar genre to mine because it's set during World War One, and it's about two men falling in love in the trenches. Uh, and it's very good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I know uh, you'll be in conversation with Alice uh, on your book tour. And just shouting out your book tour, Mira Jacob, Shannon Sanders, who's one of my favorite writers. So many amazing people. Kirsten Chen. Yes, Kristen Chen is your book launch. Just so that it just goes to show that community is so important and great. And I love that, like you shout out like uh, Cinema Love, which uh, was already on my radar when we met in person. Oh, but like, it's you have such to meet this book. person. And I was like, I already know. Like, yes, I just love it. Yeah, I love I love to run around and, and shout, you have to meet this person and then put you in front of the person. But then I get really distracted and then leave. And so you're just in front of the person. And you're like, uh oh. <laughs> I love it so much. Thank you, Vanessa Chan, for joining the Day Beautiful podcast to talk about your debut novel, The Storm We Made. Listeners, you can get The Storm We Made wherever you get your books, bookshop.org, your local independent bookstore. And you can follow Vanessa on the internet at vanessajchan.com and on Twitter and Instagram at vanjchan. You can follow me, Adam, at fitcabbage on social media. You can follow Day Beautiful at Day Beautiful. And you can check us out at daybeautiful.net. And as always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful. And you're all beautiful. Beautiful.